now listening to the moon child 1040 on a Thursday morning May 6th and I thought I had to start it off with the Isley Brothers today songs called here we go again and the title of this episode is ah shit here we go again and you know what this means the Kings are playing good basketball in the final stretch of the season We've been in this roller coaster before, where we go on a six-game winning streak, then a nine-game losing streak, then another seven-game winning streak, then back it up again with another nine-game losing streak. Just inconsistent, it's actually been very consistent, very, very consistent, inconsistent basketball, if that makes any sense. Consistent, inconsistent basketball. That's what the Kings have been doing. But I had a feeling that we had one good final stretch in us. That I think it was going to be happening in this way where, well, now we just lost Halliburton for the rest of the season and we'll start winning these games when Fox is out on protocol. He does return and I think I think he's missing one more game. I think he returns after that. But currently, we're on a four-game winning streak. I had a feeling that we had one more little streak in us. But this time is with no Fox, no Halliburton. And we are now sitting with two and a half games behind the San Antonio Spurs, who we play tomorrow in a massive game, which will really determine the rest of our season. Now, I didn't throw in the white flag, but like I said, I wasn't going to bet on us as, as far as favorites. I wasn't going to talk up the Kings as far as making the push. For this playing game, especially without Fox, the same way I was pushing that the Kings were going to make the playoffs, which I was wrong, as I much must admit, admit, but technically we're still not out of it. And that's something I love to see. The more competitive basketball that this franchise gets, the better. And if we can find a way to get into playing games, I'm totally fine with it. It's nice to see that we're not throwing in the towels. It's nice to see that the players have some will and some resilience to not give up especially with two of the best players not being there as well as Harrison Barnes missing some of these last last few games so let's talk about this four game winning streak for a hot second so uh, we were liberated completely by the Jazz 50 point blowout and I'm just sitting there like oh goodness this is just bad brand of basketball how are we going to do this without Fox Yada, yada, yada. Bagley comes back. And we get a very, very good win against the Lakers. LeBron was there. Anthony Davis was there. Tyrese led the team. And we played very good basketball. It was nice to see how Tyrese was controlling and how composed he was down the stretch. Rashawn Holmes was making big buckets, being the usual energy guy he was. And then we go against the Mavs, as I said before. I truly think we own the Mavs. The Mavs has proved that they are one of the softest teams in the NBA. And we end up completing the season sweep against the Mavericks, which when it was coming down to these last 17 games, I liked our chances versus the Mavericks, and we capitalized. And then we beat the Thunder. We beat the Thunder in a pretty close games, stayed resilient, and pushed it through, and then beat a dysfunctional Pacers team right now. So those were, those games were all on the road. We six-cityed on the road trip, and now we go back home for three games. 
going against the Spurs, and then the Thunder twice. Now, there is seven games left in the season for the Kings, eight games left for the Spurs, and seven games left for the Pelicans. But before we get into our playing chances, I must address a very, very, very interesting situation with Marvin Bagley playing at a very high level. Now, I mean, I felt like with him being back, if you know, I my viewpoint of his potential was if we had him back this season, we would for sure be a seventh or eighth seed. That's not how things really worked out. Also, he'd been injured for the past 20 games, but even when he wasn't injured, he was not playing no defense. And I made that very, very clear. His dad was making questionable comments. And as far as where we selected him with the number two pick and compared to how he was playing with Rashawn Holmes, he was looking like nothing like but an average player. But as far as when he was coming out of college or, you know, my potential viewpoint of him, I feel like he can be like Chris Bosh. Offensively, he has all the tools to be like Chris Bosh already. Um, he just needs to be a little bit more efficient, which he has been. I, like I said, he's a very tenacious offensive rebounder. I wish he was more tenacious on the defensive end all around. And but, you know, that's the main issue. Chris Bosh played defense at a high level. I'm not sold yet on him defensively. There is wins where we got, you know, out of three out of the four wins. He, you know, he's putting up near double doubles, you know, the 18 and nine easy in that 20 and tens. Like I know he can get 20 and 10 easily. But when you see on the box score and also just from watching the game, uh, you see a negative. He's always in the negative zone. Rest of the team, most of the team will be plus four, plus five, plus seven. There's no reason that Marvin Bagley should be negative seven, negative ten in wins where we win by like seven or ten points. It doesn't make no sense. And that stat proves, you know, whether the team is better with you on, you know, while you're on the court. And that's not just for me looking at the box scores. It's also for me just watching the games where he's just constantly getting scored on or whether he's not hustling back, not playing help defense, allowing open shots, allowing easy layups, all of that. So I'm not sold yet defensively, but as far as right now, his values, his shoe, his values going up. I'm not completely like, oh, we need to keep Bagley and keep this thing for the future. I would love to get some value for Bagley. I feel like we need a rim protecting center. If you ask me if I want Jared Allen or Marvin Bagley, I'm picking Jared Allen. If I want Mitchell Robinson or Marvin Bagley, I want Mitchell Robinson. Or even as far as Miles Turner, as long as he's healthy. I We need defense. I'm still on the thing where we need defense. I feel like Fox and Halliburton, as far as they're running the, t running the team as the one and twos, whoever runs the point guard, two point guards, whatever you want to call it, I think if they, we get a rim-protecting center, we for sure can be a 7th or 8th seed to just solidify our defense and not allow easy points in the paint. And as far as a rim protector or a defensive player, I don't see that in Bagley. But he can also get better defensively. We're going to have to see how this thing plays out because now the games are really going to matter and we need to take advantage of the games that we do have. Like when we face against the Thunder, you know, how is Bagley going to play when these games count? He had 30 points and 12 rebounds the other day. Yeah. Um, a career high and a double-double, which was great to see. But now, you know, the journey's not over yet. How can he play when it matters the most? And that's what it comes down to right now. And if he could be the main reason why, you know, we get into this play-in tournament, 
that's going to be huge for him, maybe huge for us, or also huge for his values, depending on which direction Monty is going to go this offseason. And let's talk about the play-in chances. So, unfortunately, there is a chance. Like I said, I feel like we have one good final stretch of basketball. So we're on a four-game winning streak. There's seven games left. There's still a possibility that we can go on a seven-game losing streak. But we can also go on a seven-game winning streak to make this winning streak end up being 11 games. We don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is Fox is coming back, I think, after the Spurs game. And that's going to be very monumental for us when we go against the Grizzlies back-to-back, who Grizzlies are desperately trying to win right now. Now, we play the Thunder twice, the Grizzlies twice, and, well, let me just read over the schedule. So we play the Spurs tomorrow. The Spurs is going to, you know, it's going to depend how these next six, after this Spurs is going to depend how, you know, these next six games after them is going to go. We have to beat the Spurs because if we beat the Spurs, not only we give the Spurs a loss and then we get a game closer. So then we'll be only a half, a half, no, a game and a half behind them and we'll be right in we'll be right in it with six games to spare and they have a harder schedule remaining than us but this is going to determine everything and the Spurs have a really rough schedule so let's go over the schedule that will you know obviously determine how the season's going to finish so I'm going to go over the Kings schedule I'm going to go over the Spurs schedule and I'm going to go over the Pelicans spe- schedule so we go over the Kings schedule. Now, like I said, when I was talking about this, when there were 17 games remaining, I like the Kings' chances in our remaining schedule because nobody is playoff teams. We're only playing play-in teams or teams that are out of it. So let's look at our remaining schedule. So we got the Spurs tomorrow. Big, big game. Got the Thunder at home and the Thunder at home again on a back-to-back. These games are at home. We have to win both of those games. That's going to really prove where the Kings is at, if they can really take care of business, because the Thunder is not trying to win. They're out of playoff contention. They're in this draft pick mode, right? They're in a rebuild. We know this. Then after the Thunder, we got the Grizzlies back-to-back. That's going to be another monumental stage and see how we perform, because not only that, we're we're trying to be on the same level as the Grizzlies. They're in the play-in also. They're not trying to go under the 8th seed. They're fighting with the Warriors right now. They don't want to be a ninth seed, and they definitely don't want to be a 10th seed. They got to make sure they get to a 7th or 8th seed. That way they only have to win one game when they're in the play-in tournament. And then our final game of the season is against the Jazz. But I think the Jazz is going to be resting their main players because they're already in playoff mode. They're getting ready for the playoffs. So that matchup can actually benefit us where we're a team trying to win every game. Where we're already in, where, where every game right now is a playoff game right now. That's the type of mode we're in. And the Jazz is focusing ahead for the real playoffs. So while we're in playoff mode right now, that's a game, you know, it's the last game of the season. I doubt that the Jazz will be, you know, starting their starters and they're going to be playing some of the young guys. So we have to take advantage of opportunities like that. Now if we go to the Spurs schedule. So they play against us. Then they got the Trailblazers. They got the Bucks. They got the Nets. They got the Knicks. And then they have to end out the season with the Suns twice. Now, who knows how much the Suns are going to try to put into that game. They might be pushing for a number one seed. Also with the Jazz trying to put up for a number one seed. But as far as going against the Bucks, Nets, who is trying to compete for a one, two, or three seed, 
And then the Knicks, who's trying to make sure they don't go down to the seventh seed, as well as the Trailblazers not trying to go down to the seventh seed. The Spurs are not really favorites in any of these matchups. The only matchup that you can say they're a favorite is, is against the Kings and maybe against the Nets. But they're not favorites against the Trailblazers. They're not favorites against but Bucks, Nets, or the Suns twice. Now the Pelicans were already a game behind them. And their schedule is difficult as well. They got to go against the 76ers, the Hornets, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, the Warriors, and the Lakers. And Lakers is going to be trying. The Lakers have to try throughout the rest of the season. The Warriors are for sure trying. That's going to be a big game. The Mavericks are trying not to get to the seventh seed. The Grizzlies are not trying to be a ninth seed. The Hornets are not trying to be. They're trying to get up to at least a seventh or sixth seed. And then you got the 76ers still trying to keep that number one spot so they can have home advantage throughout the entirety of the playoffs. So, with that being said, with the schedules being said, so now we got to go into, you know, the scenarios that needs to happen for the Kings to make the playoffs. So, it all starts with this first game with the Spurs. So, there's scenarios for the Kings if we lose this first game with the Spurs. And then there's scenarios if we win this first game with the Spurs. Now, if we win this game, our chances definitely increase. If we lose, our chances get a lot more slim. So let's talk about if we lose. And if we lose this game, we need the Spurs to at least finish 3-4 and four in their last seven games. And with them finishing 3-4, and four, the Kings have to go 6-0 and oh for the remaining games. And... You know, that's going to be tough to just win the rest, you know, win the rest of the games. That's it makes a lot of things difficult. We have to go six and zero after losing them. Now, if the Spurs go two and five, we can just, we got to go five and one. If the Spurs go one and six, we got to go four and two. But, you know, accident um, relying on a team to go one and six or two and five while we have to go five and one or four and two. That's pretty slim. Now, let's talk about if we win. Now, that's a change. That's a difference. Now, if we win, the Spurs, they gotta. If they go four and three, we gotta go six and zero. If they go three and four, we gotta go five and one. If they go two and five, we got four and two. If they go one and six, we gotta go three and three. Now, if they just lose the rest of their games and go zero and seven, we just, we just gotta go two and four. So our chances are definitely increased. And like I said, the Spurs are not favorite in. I would say 90% of their game, the remaining of their games. There's only one game where I think you would consider them as a favorite other than going against the Kings, and that's against the Knicks. And arguably, the Knicks might end up being a favorite in that. So Spurs are in a tough position, and they're definitely in a position where this is their thing to lose. But they also have the best coach in, in probably in NBA history behind arguably Phil Jackson um, leading that team. So... They also have a coach who's going to prepare them correctly. And we are dealing with Luke Walton. So, you know, got to put some respect on the Spurs organization. Now, as far as the Pelicans, you know, if we want to be able to pass them, if they go 4-2, and two, we got to be 6-0. and oh. If they end up going 3-3, three and three, we got to be 5-1. and one. They go 2-4, and four, we got to be 4-2. and two. They go 1-5, and five, we got to be 3-3. Three and three. They go 0-6, oh all we got to do is be 2-4. and four. And our schedule compared to their schedule is a lot easier. It's just the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies. And this is the perfect team that I want. If there is any team 
any competitive team where we have to prove, make a statement on and at least to make a playoff push, I'm glad it's the Grizzlies. Because Fox will be back and we get to see the Fox versus Ja when it matters the most. We settle it. We settle it. All that talk I've been talking, saying Ja is not on Fox's level yet. All the talk that the media has been talking, saying Fox is a wannabe version of Ja. We get to see. And we're going to see where he counts. Hopefully those games can get televised if, you know, the game is meaningful. Where if the Kings take care of business with the Thunder, hopefully. That's what I'm presuming. Those games are going to be monumental versus the Grizzlies. It's very monumental. And it's going to definitely show where we're at. The pieces that the Kings have added in the trade deadline are starting, you know, starting to come around. They're starting to get used to things. DeLon Wright has been playing really well. Terrence Davis has been playing phenomenal. He is a very, he's a key priority that we need to make sure we bring back in the offseason. Because like I said, he was, a, he was a shooting guard and a point guard. So he has some playmaking ability. But we've been using him as a two and a three because he's just so competitive on defense. I love his defensive energy. I love his defensive effort. I love it all, and he brings that 3 and D. He's been very inefficient from the three-point line, but he shoots it with confidence, and it's not one of those, it's not like an Andre Roberson-type situation. No, I want him to keep shooting it. And because he defends, him missing shots or being inefficient on offense does not bother me because he's doing it on the defensive end. So it's going to be very, very interesting. So this was a ride that, you know, I was not really expecting, if I'm being honest. It was a... You know, I was just like kind of on cruise control for the rest of the season, but they're playing at a high level and we're taking advantage of, you know, we took advantage of the Thunder situation and the Pacers situation and then, you know, make good statements against the Lakers and Mavericks. And now we're in a position where we can really still make this thing happen, but you have, they have to prove it. I can, we can do, I can do all this talk and say and predict all these things. But as we've seen throughout the season, based on what has actually happened, this team has been very inconsistent. So the test is right here, the finals. It's finals week, technically. It's the final two weeks. They got to grind it out. And I'm totally going to believe in it. I love that they're not tanking. And it's cool. To, it's, it's always good to see them when the team is checked in and they're playing good basketball. And I'm going to be very, very disappointed. Like I said, wins and losses, I say this all the time, wins and losses do not bother me. They're playing competitive basketball. They don't look checked out. And if we lose by playing hard, I can live with that. I just need to see the effort. I just need to see the will. I need to see the want. And hopefully with Tyrese on the bench, trying to motivate him, getting, uh, getting the best out of them, hopefully we can achieve that. I'd rather go down trying than just go down with little effort, you know? So... We'll see how we revolve around Bagley. Hopefully, they and when Fox comes back, hopefully we can keep the foot on the gas, and hopefully we can make this thing happen. I'm excited for it. Kings playoff chances? Hey, hey, it's been 14 years. It's not trying to make it 15. It's looking like it could be 15, but you never know what's gonna happen. You never know. So it's really a ah oh, shit. Here we go again moment because. This team loves bringing my hopes up, and they have been very, very good of bringing my hopes back down and bringing back up again. It's like a toxic relationship. That's basically what it is. It's like a toxic relationship. So, whew, it's definitely nerve-wracking, and I'm definitely going to be nervous for the game tomorrow. I don't have work, luckily, so I'm definitely going to be tuning in that one, watching that game very, very, very closely. So, can't wait for that. As far as around the league... 
You know, I love to talk about the MVP conversation. You know, I had Embiid as the favorite, but right now it's too close. It's too close to pick a winner. It's too close right now between Jokic, Embiid, and Curry in his favorable right, honestly. If Curry can get his way to the seventh seed and he starts averaging 40 for the rest of the season, you know, it's it's going to be tough. What Jokic is doing on a night-to-night basis, and then you got Embiid. I mean, the 76ers is on a six-game winning streak right now, and Embiid is still doing his 30-10 and 10 thing, being the dominant force he is. So right now it's too close, and this is the beauty of this this year's MVP conversation. I don't think it's been this close since arguably Westbrook and James Harden in 2017, but I think it was we already all knew that it was going to Westbrook because of the triple-doubles. He was averaging the triple-doubles. But this might be as close as maybe James Harden and Curry in 2015, I would say, maybe. Or you can argue Melo and KD in 2014, the way they were scoring. Or... Yeah, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with that. I wouldn't say Derrick Rose when he won MVP was like right in the bag, you know, undisputed. He was great, but I think D Wade had a great season that year as well. But as far as I think maybe James Harden and Steph Curry, but this MVP conversation is very interesting. We're not dealing with just a two man race. Curry's not out of it. Jokic and Embiid is MVP in their fair right, but your Curry is not out of it. He's not. So I'm not really ready to have that conversation. We just got to see how things play out, how things finish. The way that Jokic has wheeled his team to the fourth place, they're like seven games ahead of the Lakers. And they're one game away from being the third spot behind the Clippers. So the the fact that they're still competing at a very high level and what he's doing on a night-to-night basis is just crazy. We already know what Embiid is doing also. And we already know what Steph Curry, I've been going just ham on Steph Curry. I'm going to bring him up again later for the Braun Braun fans that be listening. But yeah, it's it's been it's been a joy to watch. The only thing you can do is really just appreciate. It. I've been really appreciating the the this season because not you know obviously it's because of COVID, but there's a lot of uncertainty right now. We don't know what's gonna happen. We do, there's no for sure. In my opinion, there's no for sure favorite as far as MVP and even who's gonna win the title. A lot of things can go a lot of different ways, and that's the that's the fun of it. That's the fun of this season right now. As far as let's talk about as far as the eastern eastern seeding, you know we got some interesting things going on over there. Um, as far as seeds one through three and four through seven, now one through three you got the 76ers who's on a six game winning streak, the Nets who lost to the Bucks twice in a row, and you know you got the Bucks as well fighting for that one through three spot, and that's going to be very interesting because not because of the the home advantage or whatever, but my thing is. It's going to be interesting because if you get that number one seed, which it looks like 76ers are really trying to, you don't have to worry about playing the Bucks or the Nets in the second round. And, you know, if you're the Bucks or the Nets, you want to try to get that number one seed. That way you can avoid playing each other in the second round because, you know, the one seed plays the four or five seed in the next round and then the two or three seed usually play against each other. And if I'm the Nets, I'm a I, if I'm the Nets or the Bucks, I'm really trying to push for that number one seed. So these teams are going to be, I think, going to be trying to compete throughout the regular season at a very high level. And I hope they do. I hope the Nets and the Bucks are taking the rest of the regular season seriously. That way, they can take care of business versus the Spurs. And as far as the four and seven seed, that's going to be an interesting race as well. You got the Knicks in that fourth. You got the Hawks in that fifth. You got the Celtics at six. 
and the Heat at seven. Now, this none of these teams want that seven seed. I'll tell you that they're fine with four, four through six. I don't think they they're gonna be able to compete with the Nets, Bucks, or or 76ers, but they definitely don't want to be in that play-in tournament. And the Celtics and Heat surprisingly are behind the Hawks and Knicks as as contenders for the play-in tournament. Now the Knicks clinched the playoffs officially, but they still there's still a chance that they can slide down to the seventh seed. So all these teams have to continue to keep fighting so they don't have to be that seventh seed and have to risk their chances in the play-in tournament. So it's going to be very, very interesting for a lot of teams. I think the benefits of what this playing tournament provides is bringing a, a competitiveness in the regular season that we have not gotten in a while, where we just kind of see guys coast through this time of the NBA, you know, the last two weeks of the season, where now it's turned into a grind. It's turned into like a baseball thing where that playoff push is really starting to get real. And I'm enjoying it. I love watching competitive. I just watch, I love watching people compete. That's just my thing. I love watching people compete. It's a joy. It's a joy, something that brings me joy. And as far as what I'm going to end this episode with, I need to reiterate and kind of continue what I was talking about yesterday as far as the Steph taking the keys from LeBron right now. Look, LeBron conceded himself, all right? He said he'll never get to 100% again. You've seen him complain about the play-in tournament. You see what Steph Curry is doing right now without Klay Thompson. I, I need y'all to understand what, what Klay Thompson brings to the table. He is the second best shooting guard in the NBA. There is nobody other than James Harden who I would put, who I would have at shooting guard. You know, honestly, and depending on what you have around, you know, I would rather have Klay in, over James Harden in certain instances because of James Harden not really being a shooting guard. He's more like, you know, he's in that Luka, LeBron type role where, they're just an the offensive threat. They're they're an offensive threat. You know, and they're not really don't matter what position they are. But as far as a shooting guard, Clay's a true shooting guard who does it on both ends of the floor. This pairing that Steph and Clay had together, it's like Jordan and Pippen. It's like Tim Duncan with Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. It's like Kareem and Magic. It's like Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. It's that type of pairing is the perfect duo, and they're doing it in a way where they're both the best shooters that we've probably ever seen in this game. And they're both willing to move without the basketball. And Steph Curry's the guy who can put it on the floor and do a whole bunch of special magic. And Clay's a guy who can get, when he's hot, he's probably the best player. In the, he's the best shooter in the world when he gets hot. And there ain't nothing stopping him. Stopping him. Now what he's doing right now, in his era, this is Steph Curry's era. He's the best player of his era right now. And the difference between with Steph Curry and, you know, even LeBron or even Jordan, LeBron has been chasing greatness. He's been chasing greatness. You know, he's been chasing Jordan. Steph has his own legacy. He does. He has his own legacy, and he changed the game in his own will. That right there is already argument where that's probably the greatest achievement that you can have in professional sports as far as changing the game what he did. Now, Steph Curry... The, what Steph Curry right now is achieving is basically becoming the best point guard of all time. He is just as close as becoming the best point guard of all time. Basically, I would say chasing magic in a way, but it's not really in a way where he's chasing magic because he's doing it his own way. Um, and, you know, maybe he just need one more ring. But Steph Curry is as close as magic as 
LeBron is to Jordan. You know, and I think if LeBron was able to, if LeBron is able to pull his back, pull off his back to back, this is a, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be some hard conversations for Jordan fans. But as far as with Steph Curry, Steph Curry has not only a chance to, you know, pass Magic as the greatest point guard of all time, but he has a chance to achieve Jordan, LeBron type level greatness. Like I'm, we're witnessing some crazy shit right now. Seriously, we are seriously witnessing some crazy shit. You don't think. Where if he comes back next season, he has Clay. You don't think he can pull off another MVP season? Gotta understand who he's playing with. He has an advantage that no other NBA player has right now because they constantly choose a team. He has two guys, two elite level players at what they do. You have an unselfish superstar in Draymond Green. Yes, I'm calling him a superstar because he knows his role. And he has very, very high IQ, which is something I respect. And that's something that's going to last in this game forever. And you have a the second best shooting guard in the league with Klay Thompson, who they those three collectively have been playing with each other for over 10 years. Over 10 years. Steph, Draymond, and Klay is like a Jordan, Pippen, and Rodman. That's a, that's a big three-headed monster. Now, another thing that Steph is doing this year is He's showcasing that he still got it. And, you know, the older you get, he's like 32, 33. He's, this is OG Steph Curry right now. This is his era. He's looking more and more confident ever. He has everything figured out. He's in his prime for real right now. He's in his mental prime and physical prime right now, that 32, 33 range where they haven't lost too much physically. And they're, as far as the mental aspect and their experience, he's on another level from a lot of players in the league. Also, he has championship pedigree, five straight finals, so much playoff experience. Been there, done that. And now he's in a situation where, you know, he, he doesn't have his guys and people have been questioning if he can carry a team by himself or whatnot, and he's doing it. So, and I think he's also a guy that can play until he's 37, 38 years old. You look at Chris Paul. I think Steph Curry can do what Chris Paul is doing right now at 36. But Chris Paul doesn't possess the same shooting abilities that Steph Curry brings. So it's 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 not a conversation y'all want to have, but I'm going to tell you guys how it is. Steph Curry has a chance of be, pass, better chance of passing Jordan than what LeBron is right now. The time is, you know, Mother Nature is actually catching up to LeBron James right now. You can call me a hater right now, but I'm just trying to speak the facts. He's came out. I'm just saying based off what he has told y'all, basically. Told the media. He said himself that he's not. he doesn't feel like he's fully 100%. Not only that he said it, but it also looks like it. And in his fair right, he is 36 years old. Where a lot of his game does rely on athleticism. Not a lot of his game. I can't say that. But where athleticism has been a big part of his game. LeBron is obviously, if not the smartest player in the NBA as well, but as far as his athletic ability, it's starting to tone down a little bit, where Steph has literally made a career off of not his athletic ability. So as far as, you know, sports medicine getting better and better, you know, you might see Steph Curry till he's 37 or something, and the threes that he's hitting, he's going to be getting all the stats on the point records as well. And that's with playing three years of college as well. So it's a scary sight. Klay Thompson can play for a long time, and so can Draymond Green. Draymond Green, just because he's not as athletic as he was in 2016, you see he's averaging eight assists right now. He's still willing willing to set those screens. 
If he just stays in suitable shape, I'm telling you, it's a Spurs 2.0 thing. You see how long Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and Tony Parker were to play because of team chemistry and just knowing how to play the game, and they have that ability also with the two greatest shooters of the game. So it's a scary sight. I'm definitely putting my stock into the Warriors and see how they built that team in the offseason. And you just got to admire Steph Curry as a player. Like, it's literally insane what he's doing. It's insane. <laughs> it's, it's definitely insane. And I don't think it's going to get any harder for him as time goes on. So I thought I had to make that statement. Sorry, Braun Braun fans. And, you know, I, it's, it's definitely giving me the vibes where LeBron took the keys from Kobe in 2012. That's basically what it is for me right now. Kind of like how Kobe took the keys from Shaq. When Shaq took the keys when Jordan retired. So I'm definitely getting them vibes. Other than that, I'm going to leave it there. Episode 48, we're getting close to the Big 50. I'm enjoying this new little setup right now, and I can't wait to just keep putting out more episodes and see how this season continues to fold. And I'll be back with y'all on another time. I hope y'all have a good day, good evening, whenever you're listening. I truly appreciate if you take the time to listen to my podcast. You know, for the people that know me, um, it, it definitely means a lot. I know it's funny if you definitely know me where you're hearing me and after all the conversations or arguments or whatnot, knowing that you just know me personally, hearing me do these podcasts and the fact that you take time to support it, it just def definitely means a lot to me. It definitely keeps me going. And I hope all is well with anybody trying to strive to something. Like I said, if you start something, you're closer to what you were before. That's, that's one thing I learned from Nipsey for show. And I'm going to try to keep it with me and we'll see how this thing goes. Other than that, a lovely evening or morning. Get B words and make sure you eat a lot of bacon. Peace.